You're listening to Making Global Learning Universal, conversations about engaging diverse perspectives, collaboration, and complex problem solving in higher education, on campus, online, in local communities, and abroad. I'm your host, Stephanie Dosher, Director of Global Learning Initiatives at Florida International University. Don't get me wrong, access is important, but at the end of the day, like we don't celebrate just students having access to college and university, we celebrate them graduating. So similarly, we don't just celebrate, you know, hey, we, we, we increase the number of our students that are going abroad. How we actually position these students to really benefit from this experience in the way that we as professionals in the field talk about, when we talk about the, the learning benefits, interper- the, the interpersonal benefits, the career benefits. Well, if, if we really want our students to take advantage of that, we also have to be honest that students need to be supported in different ways because we're all different people as our, as our, as our students are. That was Andrew Gordon, founder and CEO of Diversity Abroad. I sat down with Andrew and our colleague, Monica Malhotra, of the National Clearinghouse on Disability and Exchange to talk about ways we can make international study, work, and travel accessible for all. Monica and Andrew are field builders. Their organizations support a broad array of individuals, educational institutions, and for-profit nonprofit, and governmental entities committed to making study abroad more diverse, accessible, equitable, and inclusive. This conversation is full of information and resources. I've put links in the show notes. But do pay particular attention to what Andrew and Monica say about provider mindset and striking a balance between progress and perfection. I think you're going to want to talk about this some more with your colleagues, so remember to download the discussion guide on the podcast website. Now, here's my conversation with Monica and Andrew. Maybe we could start by um, talking about the basics, because some of our listeners may not be familiar with your organizations, and I think it would be good to set the stage with uh, a little bit about your particular organization's missions and also how you, the role that you play within your organizations. So I, I think maybe we'll start with Monica because um, Monica, I think your organization might be a little bit older. So we'll, yeah, so we'll, so so we will, uh, We'll defer to um, the elder in the room. I will take that as a compliment. I know I'm the oldest in this room. I know I am. So I'm speaking organizationally. Well, thanks. Of course. Um, so the National Clearinghouse on Disability and Exchange is a project with the mission of increasing the number of people with disabilities participating in all types of international exchange programs. Um, looking at Americans with disabilities, as well as international students and participants with disabilities. Um, We do this twofold. So we're looking at one part of addressing and making sure people with disabilities know about these opportunities. And on the other side, advising practitioners, exchange practitioners on how to do it, how to plan for it, how to recruit people with disabilities. Um, This could be ECA programs, Department of State, community colleges, English programs, four-year universities, advising third-party providers. Um, And together, we've been doing this from the State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs has been funding it for 25 years this year and has given Mobility International USA the role of managing the grant. Um, Mobility International USA as a whole, their mission is to advanced disability rights globally. So as a whole, we're looking at advancing disability rights internationally by inviting disability advocates in different countries to come to where we're based in Eugene, Oregon to learn about advocacy, disability rights, the US experience um, with the Americans with Disabilities Act, training them to go back to their country to train more people with disabilities. We see this with international exchange and international development, the importance of people with disabilities being included in international development opportunities and international exchange. So that's where the clearinghouse comes in, is to focus on exchange and the importance of people with disabilities to be included, to make the changes in the world, um, looking at disability rights 
as a whole all across the globe. Fantastic. And so, Monica, what role do you play in your organization? So I've been the project manager with the Clearinghouse for five years. And so looking at different initiatives, working with our grant officer at the State Department, um, doing trainings, looking at communicating with exchange practitioners to see, as you've mentioned, how the field is changing and growing and people are wanting more of this information. So seeing how we can produce the trainings and our resources to talk more to exchange um, practitioners and to Um, people with disabilities on how to access the information, what information do they need. So through our our clearinghouse, we're pretty much, it's a long title, National Clearinghouse on Disability and Exchange. (laughs) Um, But it's a clearinghouse because we really have a clearinghouse of information. If our outreach is pretty much the world, we really have to create a lot of online resources that are accessible for everyone um, to be able to access stories of people with disabilities who've done it from the U.S. all across the globe, as well as best practices, sharing what practitioners are doing in the field. So sharing um, stories of recruiting, funding, budgeting, um, getting data of people with disabilities who are participating in the um, programs. Okay. And when you say accessible, uh-huh. Do you also mean accessible in different languages? Like, are, are you, do you have a multilingual resource <clears throat> list? Good question. Um, we don't really have, we have some information in American Sign Language and in International Sign, as well as different, through a different projects, we have more resources in Spanish and Vietnamese, but our clearinghouse information is mainly in English. Okay. Um, and yeah, usually simple language, expe- accessible meaning um accessible for people who are blind so they can access an accessible pdf videos are always captioned Um, we have word documents so meaning accessible for people with different disabilities understood okay great thank you andrew it is your turn (laughs) well let let me start out by saying happy 25th anniversary (laughs) the clearing oh yeah right on (laughs) we're we're, we're a little bit younger we're 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 almost 14 years old so still that uh early teenage years um but no and as as, again it's a pleasure to to chat with everyone this morning uh, morning for me uh and so i'm ceo and founder of diversity abroad and uh, diversity abroad is a consortium of uh over 300 colleges and universities uh private organizations, nonprofits, government agencies uh, around the world who share our, our, our mission, which is uh, essentially that uh, we want to create equitable access to the benefits of global education um, by empowering educators, uh, engaging with stakeholders, and then connecting students to, to resources and opportunity. Um, and really the heart of what we do, I would say the last word, opportunity, uh, that's really the heart of what we're, what we're looking at as an organization. Uh, we know the uh, the power and the impact that global learning, global educational opportunities can have on young people, both from an academic standpoint, uh, interpersonal uh, standpoint, and increasingly we're seeing the career benefits or the career readiness benefits that global education can provide. And so that all comes down to opportunity. And so how do we make sure that all young people, regardless of their background, um, have access to these type of opportunity, opportunities and are able to be successful as they're, uh, as they're pursuing them? Um, you know, our name is Diversity Abroad, and definitely in the heart of, of uh, or the genesis of how we started was with uh, traditional study abroad. Uh, but as you uh, saw, as I just mentioned in our, in our mission statement, really what we're looking at is global learning, global education. And so we're looking at what does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean, both from an outbound study abroad standpoint, uh, as well as from an inbound international students. And inbound international students can be international students coming to a U.S. campus. Uh, or it can be an international student coming to a campus at a, at a university outside of the, the U.S. Um, and so looking at those two aspects of, of diversity and inclusion in our field, but also the third aspect, which is one that I think often we don't talk enough about, is what does diversity, equity, inclusion actually mean for the profession itself? Um, who we hire, how we retain and advance professionals of all backgrounds uh, to be successful in, in the field of international education. Um, so ultimately, the work that we do, both in engaging students and in working professionals, uh, is to reach our vision. And that's that the, the next generation of young people from uh, diverse and traditionally underrepresented backgrounds are equipped with the skills, the knowledge, and the global ac- acumen ultimately to thrive in the 21st century 
um, which we know is increasingly interconnected. Um, and these kind of opportunities are, are critical to uh, the growth and development of, of young people. So I think our listeners, having heard about the missions of your particular organizations, will really get why we're having this conversation today and why we're having it together in terms of our perspective that global learning, whether it's on campus, which has been kind of the focus of you know my work at FIU for the last 10 years or so, or if it's in the community online or abroad, that global learning should be universally available and baked in, if you will, into all students' education. Mm-hmm. So we share this kind of value, I think, in, in the missions of, our, of our, our organizations and our work. But I think it would be really helpful to go a little bit deeper into your personal connection to this mission. I'm curious, how did your consciousness, how did your perspective evolve that brought you into this work? And, and maybe it would be a good, good to start with this question with Andrew, because as you said, you're the founder and CEO of Diversity Abroad. Share with us, if you would, the story of how Diversity Abroad came to be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I would like to say there was a, a deep consciousness that I had when when founding Diversity Abroad. Um, I was 24. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right you know, around the time that Monica's organization was being born. Around, around that time, exactly. <laughs> um, no, you know, it, it, it was interesting. I um, So I had studied abroad several times. I studied abroad in, in Mexico, uh, spent a semester in southern Spain, and then also interned abroad once I uh, once I graduated from uh, from college. Um, and during my internship abroad, I, you know, when I finished that, I, I came back to uh, work. I was working at a consulting accounting consulting firm for, for several years and then, uh, and then a boutique uh, uh corporate real estate consulting firm. So nothing really connected to international education. Um, but fast forward at this point in my life, you know, I, I was looking at what my next steps were and I was thinking through some of the experiences that had a tremendous impact on, on me, um, how I viewed myself, how I viewed the world and how I viewed opportunity. Uh, and things kept circling back to my experiences studying abroad. Um, and, and particularly what I think what the what was part of the genesis of diversity abroad specifically was thinking of the experience in Spain. Uh, I was on, uh, it was a fairly large program, I would say over 100 students. And the program I was on, I mean, there was a handful of, uh, of black and brown kids. Um, and so I still had a tremendous experience. It was, it was probably one of the uh, most exciting six, seven months of my, of my undergraduate career. Um, and so I knew, I knew the experience I had, I could see how it was impacting me several years later on, um, but then wondered why students like me weren't participating. Um, and so I had been involved in a variety of different diversity organizations with the firm that I was working at. And so I just started doing research on, on diversity and, and study abroad. And this is 2005 when I started doing the research. And, you know, what was interesting then is that there's obviously, you know, great organizations, um, uh, NAPSA and AIEA and the IIE and so on and so forth, that were kind of tackling diversity, or sorry, tackling international education as a whole. But there wasn't a, there wasn't a central organization that was looking at um, diversity, equity, inclusion broadly. Um, uh, and at that time, I would say, I would take, even take it broadly away from it. There weren't organizations that were looking specifically at students of color um, and how they were engaging with um, international opportunities. Uh, and so again, I was, you know, I would say kind of in the Bay Area, 2005, you know, there's a problem, what do you do? You, you start a website. And that's, <laughs> totally. uh, that's, that's really the genesis of Diversity Abroad, our, our student platform, diversityabroad.com. And, and at the time, you know, I tell people, like, we were definitely looking at diversity from a more narrow perspective. Like we were looking at it just from the standpoint of students of color. So we weren't talking about students with disabilities or first-generation college students or LGBTQI students or students um, uh, religious backgrounds and so on and so forth. Like the, the six, uh, the six kind of groups that we talk about now as an organization, we weren't really looking at all of those groups at that at that time. Um, and so yeah, so that that was that's the genesis of. I'd like to say that this is, was like uh, my life's work that I knew from an, an early age. Uh, that wasn't the case. It really was right time, right place, and I think a passion that I have and I had and continue to have. Um, yeah. For uh, young people, that young people having access to opportunity, whatever that opportunity might be, 
I would say that's part of the driving force of diversity abroad from the beginning and continues to be. Um, making sure that regardless of one's background, they have access to the different kind of opportunities that uh, should be afforded to them as, as students. Got it. So you saw a problem, you wanted to solve it. Yeah. Monica, I think you've had a kind of a different pathway. Kind of similar and different. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> When I graduated high school in 97, I had no idea that international education was a field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I studied, I didn't study abroad in during my undergraduate degree program, but I did my master's degree in England. It was one of the most amazing years that I've had. It really shifted my career objectives and just personally confidence and building relationships with people from so many different backgrounds. Came back to the U.S. and learned about international education, worked at the University of Texas at Austin for 10 years. And pretty early on, similar to Andrew was, you know, why are there not more international students with disabilities coming to study here? Mm -hmm. And this amazing city, very accessible campus. um, You know, I don't know why disability stuck out for me. You know, I worked with disability groups in like high school and just kind of did some work, but it was just, I was very aware of it. And built relationships with our disability office and then mm-hmm. confirmed that, yeah, there's not that many international students with disabilities studying here at a campus with 55,000 students. You know, why was this not happening? And so then I started to do some trainings and building liaisons with um, lia- liaison activities with our disability office, um, doing trainings with our ESL teachers to get more students with disabilities entering ESL programs, learned about the clearinghouse and knew after probably five, six years that I was always integrating disability into my work, that this is what I wanted to do full time. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back right after grad school. Um, And I think sometimes with that question, people want to know the disability background, like you must have a disability. Um, That's why you do what you do. But you don't have to have a disability to know that this work is important. My disability never impacted my exchange program or my travels. You know, I've had MS now for over 15 years and I live with it. It's, you know, it is what it is, but it doesn't impact my work because people with maybe significant disabilities that do impact their lives on a daily basis. You know, those are a lot of the students that we have to also do more work to show how they can be um, included in these opportunities. Um, You know, I want to put emphasis on our founder, Susan Siegel, and she has a lot of the same same experience as Andrew with founding Mobility International USA in 1981. So the Clearinghouse was established 25 years ago, but the organization as a whole was established in 1981. She's a wheelchair writer. She was received a Rotary scholarship, went to Australia, and same thing, where's all the disabled people on this program? They're not here. Why are they not here? Um, She went hiking. She did all types of activities as a wheelchair rider. And we want more people with, you know, disabilities to access these opportunities um, for so many reasons with employment, with um, competence, with, you know, public speaking, so many things that it gives you. Why should we limit this opportunity to, you know, it's not exclusive. It's not an exclusive program. so. So this is very interesting to me how each of you are talking about how you connected from somewhat, even though it might be a little bit more of a looser or more tangential connection for you, Monica, but you're talking about connecting in some way in order to enable others to have an experience, right? Mm -hmm. So is that also kind of the work that you're doing as your organization to connect with faculty, administrators, funders, um, who may not have any kind of an, a disability, who may or may not um, ha- be a person of color themselves or, or part of whatever uh, kind of group of students that we're trying to do better by, right? Like, how do you help your constituencies to make these connections so that programs are more inclusive, accessible to all? It's a great question. And just, you know, within the five years, I want to just kind of state within the five years I've been at my USA, early on the conversations with administrators and practitioners in the field were, do we have to do this? Okay, you know, there we go. Is, do, mm-hmm. is it the law? Do I have to do it? 
um, probably in the last two years, the conversation has shifted to how I want to do it. How do I do it? Let me know disability language, um, how to budget for this, how how do I include people who are deaf or blind? How do I how do I make this happen? Because they're seeing that people with disabilities want it and they're doing it. The number of people with disabilities participating in exchange programs are significantly increasing. Um, according to IIE's Open Doors report, we continually see the numbers increasing. Um, you know, we also call this Generation ADA, um, generation who grew up with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Those are the students that are in the schools that are knowing about study abroad and all types of exchange programs, if it's Peace Corps, whatever type of exchange it is, they're saying, yeah, I want it. You know, that is my right. And we want to make sure, you know, faculty members, administrators at schools know that, hey, get ready. You know, you have, this is their right. Yes. Um, it's not your choice based on your preconceived notions if a person with a disability can or cannot go or participate in these programs in kinder terms, <laughs> but pretty yeah. much like, you know, just showing that we have these resources to support practitioners and administrators to make these things happen, to make these programs more inclusive. You know, it's, we're a tiny organization based in Eugene, Oregon, but we have a number of resources and that's, and it's free, you know, that's our ultimate goal is to say, we know that you're not disability experts. We acknowledge that hundred percent. You don't have to be just make sure that students know that this is an opportunity for them and the student, and we will help make it happen, support you on those strategies to include people with disabilities. I think you kind of answered a follow-up question that I was going to ask you. I was curious about what led to that shift from do we have to to how. I think you answered it in that, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but it's a wave of demand born of the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? So we have um, a generation of students who have been empowered, who have lived in a world mm -hmm. in which they've been told, yes, you can, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that one of the ways that you help institutions, administrators, faculty connect to the resources that you have available is by helping them connect to the demand, mm -hmm. right? To helping them to see that there are students that that want this. It's, it's not yeah. about do we want to provide this as an institution, but how do we satisfy the demand of our students whose tuition we're taking, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to conferences, you know, and every professional has experience. So, you know, I taught to a student who's a wheelchair user, or I had a student who's blind that wanted to go abroad. Like, everybody's having their stories now, mm -hmm. maybe before, because the students weren't coming in, but more students, just like you said, are empowered and want to take advantage of these opportunities. And so, you know, a lot of um, staff and administrators through these programs are saying, oh, what do I do? Right. Um, <clears throat> and of course, you know, the exchange programs and exchange advisors want to see it happen, but they may not have those answers immediately. You right. know? And so we, um, at conferences, doing these types of presentations, creating focused uh, workshops or trainings to those advisors, um, and just creating more awareness of what we do um, right. and strategies that other programs have done. It's really great to see finally that it's more of the how. Beautiful. Andrew. Yeah, I, you know, I would say for less based on, so this is kind of Monica was saying, you know, with ADA, that students have grown up with that and, and so on and so forth, so that's become an expectation. I guess I say it's similar that the population of students that we see coming into our colleges and universities now are a much more diverse population, uh, ethnically, socioeconomically. I have more students that are first in their families to, to go to college and students that are uh, aware and identify closely with other um, aspects of, uh, of their identity. Um, so similarly, that, that's, that's who's coming to our campuses. Um, and I think within international education, what's been interesting is that you've had... I think you've always had those that have had a, a real passion for this work, um, for making sure uh, that uh, young people, regardless of their background, have access to this opportunity. Like, you know, professionals who we all truly believe in the power of global learning opportunities and saying, 
you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say this is a phenomenal experience only certain students have access to it. So you've always had those that have been really, really passionate about it. Um, but then I think as the, the demographics has changed, I think as, as higher education as a whole has uh, uh, embraced diversity, equity, inclusion, not as a, a kind of check the box, this is a nice thing to do, but more so this is an integral, this is an integral part of our operation. This is an integral part of how we as an institution or as an organization will be successful in, as you all properly stated, serving these students who are we're taking their tuition dollars from in, in, in the first place. And so as that has happened, what's been, um, what's been I think really positive is that, um, I, I don't think begrudgingly, but I think professionals in, in international education, professionals that work in other aspects of higher education and student success and diversity inclusion and so on and so forth are saying, yeah, diversity and inclusion also matters for international education, whether that's how we're supporting international students coming to our campus and helping them uh, engage with a variety of different American students or even helping them to uh, think about how their identity is impacting their experience to how we're not just recruiting more uh, diverse students to go abroad, but also thinking about how do we support their success when they're, when they're overseas. So really kind of moving away from, I, I think when we first started, so much of the conversation was about access and access. And don't get me wrong, access is important, but at the end of the day, it's like we don't celebrate just students having access to college and university. We celebrate them graduating. So similarly, we don't just celebrate you know, hey, we, we, we increase the number of our students that are going abroad. How we actually position these students to really benefit from this experience in the way that we as professionals in the field talk about, when we talk about the, the, the learning benefits, interper the, the interpersonal benefits, the career benefits. Well, if, if we really want our students to take advantage of that, we also have to be honest that students need to be supported in different ways because we're all different people as our, as our, as our students are. So it's been really exciting to see, I think, the, the higher education community and particularly the international education community take on this challenge and say, you know, we know that, again, we know how phenomenal these opportunities are. We know the impact that they have on young people. How can we, as professionals, be more effective in our job so that we're serving all of our students in a way that they actually benefit from these opportunities the way we know they should? Okay. First of all, I wish the whole world could see the fire in your eyes right now. <laughs> because it's it, it's really exciting to me. And I'm feeding off of it. And and I'm also so glad that you just said what you did because I think what you're opening the door for us to talk about now is design. Yeah. Okay. The design of the study abroad experience. And I'm delighted that you're that you brought that up. And let me see if I can connect a couple things here. One has to do with the fact that in international education, there's and with multicultural or our DEI offices, there are those of us who say, oh, my gosh, like there's so much overlap in our work. And there are others of us who say, well, we do two different things. Your organizations really sit at the meeting point mm -hmm. of that work, right? And in terms of how we define global learning at FIU, so we define it as this process. It's not what you learn or where you learn, but how you learn, mm -hmm. right? And the with whom you learn matters. So it's this process that engages diverse people with diverse perspectives, diverse knowledge, diverse skills, diverse in all the different ways of defining diversity, including cognitive diversity, right? We can look the same, we can be like twins, but we may think about the world in very different ways. So it's a process that engages diverse people in collaborative efforts to understand and address complex problems that transcend our borders of difference, right? And so at FIU, we think of any course that is a global learning course, no matter if it takes place on campus, online, in the community, or abroad, we need to capitalize, we need to make use of, as a resource, the diversity of those with whom we're learning and bring all of our different perspectives and skill sets to this common space of understanding an experience, a problem, an article, an observation, some, some kind of common. So when you talk about, Andrew, how do we make sure that all of our students are benefiting, what are those design attributes of a study abroad experience that is going to enable all of our students to get something out of 
the study abroad experience, but also bring something to the study abroad experience, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I want to backtrack real quick to, to kind of what you were saying about sometimes that, that tension between Please. what's happening with our, our DEI offices and, and international education or, or global learning really at the core. Uh, and this is why we as organizations talk so much about equitable access to opportunity. Because at the core, that's what everybody wants, right? We want our students to be successful. So whether you're a faculty member, whether you're the provost, whether you're working in diversity office, student success, study abroad, whatever it might be, we, as a whole, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most folks that are working in the higher ed space are working there because at, at some level they want to see young people be successful. Or maybe not so young people. They want to see students be successful. I don't want to be ageist here. <laughs> um, and so, and so yeah. that, that really is, and I think for us as an organization where we've seen our success is being able to focus on, on that. Um, when we talk to folks that, that are in diversity inclusion offices, it's, it's almost less about global learning itself, study abroad itself, and more so about the output of opportunity. How are we making sure our students are positioned to have opportunity? And these are ways that they can be better positioned to take advantage of a variety of opportunities the way that we've talked about before. Um, and that's something that we can all kind of rally behind as, as a whole. And I think there's, we, I think that message has resonated very much, not just with folks in diversity inclusion offices, but I think in higher education as a whole, um, when we're talking to uh, upper level administrators and, and otherwise being able to say that at the end of this this is about access to opportunity this is about student success that's, that's ultimately what the, the playground that we're that we're all kind of playing in so how do we how do we make that connection um and you know in doing so seeing how we're able to bring uh, people to the table who may tradi maybe traditionally thought eh, global learning is not for me or ask eh, you know diversity inclusion is not really you know that's a diversity inclusion thing not an international education thing um so, so i want to start off by saying that but at, you know, and I think once we once we have that mindset and then we come to the table and we're looking at design is looking at design from a holistic standpoint. Uh, diversity Broad has uh, a set of uh, diversity inclusion guidelines. It's called the AID Roadmap. AID is an acronym for Access, Inclusion, Diversity and Equity. And the whole idea behind uh, or the genesis behind the AID Roadmap was to say, how can uh, an international education office, particularly an education abroad office, from point A to point Z uh, implement uh, diversity, equity, inclusion practices, policies that are one, going to help increase participation of students from a, a variety of different backgrounds, but B, uh, from an operational standpoint, support that the student success while they're on program. So what does that look like from a program design standpoint? Um, where are we running programs? What does the curriculum look like? What are the co-curricular activities? Are our program leaders, are they um, thinking about the, the overall experience through an inclusive lens? What's this gonna be like for a student with disabilities? What's this gonna be like going to going to an African country with African American student? Like that's gonna be a unique experience. What's that, what's that gonna be like? And so all these different components that go into the overall experience, are we really thinking that through from point A through through point Z? Um, when we think about students coming back and the reentry aspect of things, um, how are we leveraging um, the student's experience um, once they get home to continue that learning in a way that empowers the students to go back into their communities uh, and talk about the power and the impact of global learning and global educational experiences um, from, on, on them. Um, so I think when we look at it from a design standpoint, it's really looking at it not just from the, the transactional aspect of how do we deliver a program, but really what is it that we're doing? Because if, if, it, if it's just transactional, and, and I, I say this often and I truly believe it, if it's just transactional, particularly from an education abroad standpoint, then we're just glorified travel agents. We're moving Monica from point A to point B. Uh, and I don't think any of us feel that. I think we know that what we're doing is so much more than that, but it's, it's so much more than that because of the experience that we're giving to students. And that's something that is well thought out and thought out through an inclusive lens of how is this going to be for students who are coming to us with a, a variety of different backgrounds uh, as a whole. Both mm -hmm. the challenges we may want may need to think about that they may face, but also I think it's something that I'm really glad that you, that you brought this up. The, the opportunity or, or the, the strengths that they bring because of the diverse backgrounds uh, to a program to help uh, enrich that overall learning experience for all students, regardless, like Monica, you were saying, it doesn't make a difference if someone has a disability or not, you can still be in this work. Everyone can learn from, from each other and the unique uh, perspectives that we bring based on our identity, based on our identities, excuse me. Fantastic. Monica, are those kinds of stories that Andrew was just talking about of how curriculum is designed, the co-curricular activities with that lens of serving 
our students with disabilities, but also what do our students with disabilities bring to the exchange or a, a broad experience for others? Is that the sort of thing that one can find in the clearinghouse? <clears throat> yeah, sorry. It's. I think it's important, like Andrew addressed, it's holistically, um, not looking at those numbers, but looking at what the organization is doing from the very beginning from recruitment um, to really make sure the student with a disability feels included, um, accepted in the program and not just like maybe a side, like we're going to make this happen, but it's not the student isn't fully integrated in the program. Right. Um, Through different accommodations, you know, we don't, we want the student to be fully integrated so they can share and be part of that student experience with their peers and benefit from the same opportunities. Um, When we look at, you know, practitioners asking about um, wanting students with disabilities to disclose so they themselves can maybe modify the program, you know, we don't want it to be the emphasis of the program necessarily, but being able to leave a lot of the information about the program open and transparent so the student with a disability is empowered to make their own decisions. So, you know, from the beginning, starting with recruitment, we have a lot of resources through our clearinghouse on from recruitment and, as Andrew mentioned, reentry. You know, what are these experiences that we're providing and leaving open for all students with and without disabilities, without the student with a disability feeling isolated from the design of the program? You know, and looking at universal design from the application stage, from the recruitment stage, and offering opportunities to, through reentry to be a mentor, to share their story, um, and to maybe be an intern or advocate for other students with disabilities. Um, many uh, program providers want that information for the disability to be on that application stage. You know, but if we're asking the question up front for a student even to apply if they have a disability, what are we saying? What's our message? You know, there's no reason to know that information if the student wants to join the program. If the student is accepted based on their merit or whatever other requirements are there, then at that stage, what opportunities and what information as an organization are we providing to show that everybody is included in these programs? Um, So at that point, then the student with a disability will probably feel more open, confident, and comfortable to share what their unique needs are. And so at that design stage, we can look at how to integrate the student based on what their unique needs are. Um, It's difficult to design a program. You know, universal design is one thing, but it's difficult looking at the success and integration of all students if we don't know what those unique needs might be. Um, We start at universal design, but then we still have to leave it open to have conversations with students with and without disabilities of what those needs might be. Um, Entering a different disability culture Um, having resources or connections and having that conversation, you know, what a student with a disability want to meet other people with disabilities or disability organizations in a different country? Personally, I think it's a great opportunity, but that's me, you know, maybe other people with disabilities want to be on the program and just experience what that disability culture is like, but not have to identify with it or have to go to the organizations based on what the program thinks would be best. You know, so we want to kind of make it open um, for the, the students to be able to communicate what they would want in that program. So I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to tell us just a little bit or summarize what you're talking about when you talk about universal design. We have listeners of season one of the podcast in uh, 30 countries so far and six continents. Um, and not all of us may be familiar with what you mean when you say, because you're talking about something specific, universal design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, especially I can connect it to more of exchange programs. Um, Usually programs will look at a person with a disability or plan for a person with a disability and make those unique accommodations. Um, If it's to provide interpreters or, you know, housing accommodations but how can we design the program for people with disabilities from the very beginning? Do we already have housing options set up? Um, So it's inclusive of people who are deaf, who are blind, who are wheelchair users, for people with all types of disabilities. So it's a shared experience for everybody, looking at housing options, looking at the academic coursework, looking at the materials. Um, How are we providing materials? Are 
you know, if it's videos, if it's handwritten activities, you know, if there's a person who's blind and there's handwritten activities, what are different accommodations or how can you make it more universal where that's not an accommodation that has to be needed because everything is kind of open and using the term universal at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, including people with disabilities at every stage of it. Of course, there's going to be unique needs um, for different students, but then still having it already prepared and integrated into the design of the program, um, looking at different activities. If you have different hikes or you know, what other outside of the academic coursework, what type of activities you have that could be inclusive of people with all types of disabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, looking at, you know, it's not about designing it with people, thinking with people with disabilities in mind. That's what it, what it really is. Thank you. And you know what, we'll also link to mm-hmm. resources on universal design in, sure. in, in the show notes. One question I have for both of you has to do with obstacles to both accessing the program and then within the program. Most of us, we can see certain obstacles. They're, they're visible. We know that it's expensive to study abroad. It's more expensive if you need an interpreter or if you need um, an, another kind of an aid of some sort. It's, it's expensive for all students. We know that it's, it's also expensive in terms of time, that we have so much pressure on our students to, for completion, to complete more quickly. Part of that is us doing right by our students that we're taking their tuition, but it's also in certain states and in public institutions in particular, you know, our funding dollars depends on how quickly we can get students through. And so that's a, a, it suppresses actually supporting students in, in studying abroad. So we can see the expense, we can see some of the physical limitations, but are there some obstacles that are less obvious that you might kind of open our eyes to? I think part of the challenge that we've had in our field is that Normally, when we think about obstacles, we, we have thought about it through a deficit model. Um, our students don't have enough money. Our students are with disabilities. They can't do this. Their families don't know, so on and so forth. So we really put the onus on the student. So we're saying, hey, we got like the best thing going on in town you know, with global programs, but these students just, they can't access it. And so I think that that mindset in of itself has been probably one of the broader obstacles. Um, and I know for from uh, the, the perspective of diversity abroad and the work that we're doing, I, you know, I think Monica, you all, my use of it, like likewise, is really kind of flipping the table and saying, no, you know what, the students are coming to us and we know, we know who they are and we know how they're coming to us. That's not going to necessarily change. So how do we change our practices, our policies, our operation, the way that we engage with students, the way we develop these opportunities, the way we put support systems in place to meet the needs of the students who are coming coming to us. We can't say, hey, we've been doing it this way for X amount of years, we can keep doing it this way. It's like, no, we have to be willing to change and adapt as the, the different student populations come about. And so really that's, you know, I kind of mentioned the aid roadmap earlier. We really go back to that often because, you know, the focus of looking and saying, how do we structurally change what we're doing to be able to support our students? Um, Not just say, you know, hey, you know, we need more money, we need more scholarships. Yes, more scholarships would be great. But, you know, I I often ask is like, you know, show me a problem in society that we just throw money at it and we fix the problem. Not too many hands go up because that's usually just throwing money at a problem doesn't just work. It's looking and saying, how do we actually structurally change what we're doing? And so um, we as professionals, it's us, our ability to continue to, one, I think, um, push ourselves. Monica, you said something that really resonated with me about success. Like, if we don't know who it is that we're working with, how can we help them be successful? And it really, really, that really, that really resonated with me because I, I think back to you know, that question of like, how are we as professionals continuing to develop ourselves to be able to better support students who are coming to our offices to, to, to support them? And then the other aspect of it being, uh, you know, how are we building structures so that we're also able to support um, the, the students who we're, we're talking about? Oh, man, I am so glad <laughs> that you said that. You did what I asked, which is to open our eyes to what we're not seeing and we're not seeing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. We're not so much looking at, again, 
the process? What is the process, the structure that we're setting up? That makes me ask the question of, have you noticed any unintended kind of beneficial consequences or kind of overflow of this work that you do with institutions to look at ourselves, right? And how we are enabling opportunities for all, how we are providing pipelines and on-ramps for all. Have you heard any stories of this having an impact on other aspects of the institution? I'll jump in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. I mean, really, I think it's, it's interesting. You start going down this road, um, and particularly we look as we look at ourselves and, and develop ourselves. And and, and so much of, of diversity, equity, inclusion work itself um, is, is, is our own experiences, our own biases, all these things that we bring to the table as professionals and being able to unpack that and, and, and address that. And what we see is that, yes, that absolutely helps with the work that we do engaging with students. But then it also helps as we're starting to hire new people to come into our offices. It helps as we uh, can, can empathize with our colleagues across the you know, across campus in different units that uh, that we're trying to engage with and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I mean, honestly, it makes us better human beings. It's uh, really the easiest way of saying it. I think the more that we are able to be aware of uh, of that, just like the, the the biases that we may bring, the um, the things that we might be doing to hinder others from having access to opportunity or from uh, us being able to engage with someone who might might be different than us. Uh, that I think is like the beauty of this work is that whereas yes, everything we're doing is, as a whole is focused on global education, but the principles that we're learning, you know, through the work that Mayus is doing, the work of diversity abroad and otherwise are, are principles that we can take with us as we engage with different aspects of the, the campus, not just our specific role within uh, international education. The two of you are field builders, right? <laughs> I mean, or I'm telling you, you're field builders. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the space that you occupy as national, as international organizations. Um, I'm curious, do you work with third-party providers? Do you work with what other organizations do you work with? I know that you work with colleges and universities, but are there other organizations that you partner with in order to uh, to reach your mission? Yeah, this is Monica. I um, We partner with a lot of third-party providers and doing trainings. Um, we've also partnered with CIEE, for instance, and they, through our partnership with them, they created 25 scholarships for students with disabilities for the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, each year at their conference, they invite um, Mayusa to come and to do a session on disability just to ensure disability is always represented at their conference. And they also invite an alumni voice. So we always get an alumni of CIEE or an, another international exchange program to come and present with us and share their experience and tips um, with the audience. And um, diversity Abroad, as well as CIEE and a number of other organizations leading exchange programs are part of our roundtable consortium. So the Clearinghouse has 25 organizations of leading exchange and disability organizations come together to kind of build the bridge between disability and exchange. We meet once a year in DC and continuously engage on how we can collaborate more and build that connection stronger. Um, and we're invited by different, you know, um, Amidist, IIE, um, ICEP, different organizations to do more customized trainings to what their resources and questions and experiences are. Yeah, and, and I, I would say likewise, um, uh, Diversity Broad, if you look at our consortium, it's, uh, it's an interesting mix of uh, colleges and universities, um, you know, the U.S., everywhere from like community colleges through Ivy Leagues, a growing number of institutions outside the U.S., colleges and universities as well. Um, and then we work with a, a, a number of provider organizations um, from a, a few different perspectives. I think uh, one from the perspective of training and development, both for their teams here in the U.S. as well as their teams outside the U.S. For outreach, um, Diversity Abroad has uh, extensive outreach to uh, the student communities of the, the different diversity backgrounds that we talk about. And so we'll work with provider organizations to connect their opportunities, their scholarships, their programs, um, for universities outside the U.S., their graduate programs and so on and so forth, connect those um, to the, the students and the, the families that we work with. Uh, and then with governments, um, uh, both working with uh, ECA, 
um, but also governments outside the U.S. Um, uh, recently just started working with the um, Education Ireland. We had a long-standing relationship with the DAD um, and, and other governments to uh, really promote education in their countries um, to the students and professionals that we engage with, um, but also to show that their countries are open um, and are, are, are open to students from a variety of different backgrounds. Like, I may use a DAD as a, as a case study with that and the work that we've done with them, uh, you know, sometimes people think of Germany, they may not think diversity, but Germany is an extremely diverse country um, from a variety of different perspectives. Uh, so working with them to, to show our community um, that this is a welcoming destination for students, whether they want to study abroad, do a full degree, do a Fulbright, whatever it might be. Um, and so those, um, those, those areas, I think, you know, when we talk about our mission statement, when we say, you know, empowering educators, engaging state stakeholders, and connecting students to resources and opportunities, it's all that, empowering educators mainly through education, um, professional development, and access to resources, um, engaging our stakeholders, whether that be uh, uh, government agencies, universities outside the U.S., providers, um, or even increasingly um, corporations that are looking to hire young people with international experience, um, and then connecting students to resources and opportunity. And those resources can be learning resources, and opportunities can be everything from uh, an internship opportunity once they get back from studying abroad uh, to uh, you know a scholarship to help them go, go overseas, like the Gilman or something along those lines. Um, so this is Monica. I wanted to address that obstacle question again and kind of how that also coincides with looking at ourselves. Um, with a lot of uh, staff that run programs, we always hear kind of the need to have everything 100% before including people with disabilities. So having that expectation to be 100%, to have the red carpet ready to lay out, um, kind of prevents a lot of conversations and practices and steps from actually happening. And connecting with ourselves, when I've had a lot of conversations more on one-on-one -on -one with advisors, it's, you know, I remember being an advisor for 10 years within with international students and never felt that maternal instinct come out so strong <laughs> 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 um, until that point. But it's like, you know, I was very protective um, with the students and, you know, wanted their success, wanted their nurture, everything. And a lot of advisors have that, you know, and the intention, there's nothing wrong with that intention to protect all students, but then also to be aware of how that's preventing a student's success. Mm. Um, you're taking it upon yourself to actually not include people with disabilities because you don't feel like you're 100% ready, but that's not the student's um, situation. So it's taking away from the student's abilities and strength and from the very beginning, you know, you put the resources out there, create that conversation, create a safe space for students to feel comfortable and confident speaking, disclosing information with you. So then you can work towards being inclusive. And unfortunately, we're not gonna be 100% probably in our lifetime and that's okay. We just have to take those steps without that red carpet to make sure we're working towards an inclusive program. Yeah. Can, can I, can I just jump in? Like, Please. I, 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 want, I want to, I want to clap because if I had a mic to drop, I would drive. <laughs> no, no, but I'm serious. I mean, I, mean, I mean, everything Monica says is like, check, check, check. I mean, the, the notion that we're going to be perfect in anything in life, like what are, we, what are we perfect in? Like none of our offices run perfectly, but we still do the work. And so this notion that with, be it with disabilities or just diversity abroad or diversity, me, diversity inclusion broadly, that you gotta be perfect until you do it. It's like, no, you're kind of just saying it's not gonna happen <laughs> because, yeah. you're, because you're never gonna be, you're never gonna be perfect. Yeah. Um, and so that, that dual, kind of that dual path that, that Monica just mentioned of, um, yeah, we have to do better ourselves as professionals in our offices and our operation, how we develop ourselves and so on and so forth. But also realizes like, we're not, dealing with broken birds here like these are young people young adults you know we need to give them the tools and resources to help them navigate these experiences um help prepare them um that's one of the things that we hear from students that have had a variety of challenges abroad is never i i shouldn't have gone is i wish i would have known so give them the tools and resources to help them navigate while we're at the same time you know being more effective at our work and we'll make progress. Um, it's never gonna be perfect because we're imperfect individuals. <laughs> so it's never gonna be perfect. But we can continue to make really good progress. The only, the, the, I say the only failure is a notion, is, is that a notion like, hey, we had to be perfect, then we'll do it. Cause it's not gonna happen. Cause you're never gonna be perfect. 
So if I hear you correctly, you're saying what you're contributing to the field is we're not here to make study abroad easy. We're just here to make it possible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, exactly. It's not, um, you know, I think programs might have that expectation to say, give me the answer. And Stephanie, you know, we talked about this in our initial conversation is I can't give you an answer. I can give you many resources and give you some tips and advice to see if that would work with your program, but I can't give you the answer. There is no answer because every situation and every person is different. Um, And just like Andrew said, you give and make sure that you share the resources and all the tools for students to be successful and share it openly and inclusively with the students and give them that confidence that you're, that you want them in the programs and that, you, you know, freedom to fail as well. You know, we can talk about success, but they also have the freedom to fail in the programs and we can't put expectations on students with disabilities or students from other diverse backgrounds. It's, we want you to know about these opportunities, but it's not for everybody realistically, you know, and we hope it is because we might have our own experiences, but not to put that kind of pressure on the students to succeed as well. I mean, if study abroad were easy, it wouldn't be transformational. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And there's that that balance between, you know, we want to push students. You know, there there are things that happen based on their identity that's just like, hey, that's just wrong. That's not something that you should have to deal with. So how can we support you in in this situation? You know, how to give you tools and resources to help you navigate and so on and so forth. But the notion that, um, you know, this is just, we're trying to make this easy. I, I would say the opposite. I think to your point, trying to make it possible and then have the have a structure so that students can actually really benefit from, um, from, from these opportunities. Uh, but as, you know, as, as, as Monica just said, but it's not going to be for everybody. I mean, you know, 330, 350,000 students go abroad out of what, 16 million, 18 million. I don't know. So it's obviously not, everyone's not doing it. So I don't think the idea is that it's supposed to be for everyone, but we want to increase numbers. Absolutely. And we want to support student success, um, through, um, uh, through study abroad. But I think that's kind of circles back to what we started talking about in the beginning is that, you know, when we talk about global education, it can't just be study abroad because every student's not going to study abroad. And, and that's okay. I don't think that's, that's why we're kind of waving the white flag in, in, in failure or, or surrender. I think it's that realistic that for a variety of reasons, every student won't study abroad. But it doesn't mean that every student shouldn't have access to global learning opportunities that should be part of a well-rounded 21st century higher education experience. So it's also looking at how do we leverage our international students who are coming to campus to um, for their own benefit, but also to the benefit of, of domestic students. How are we looking at what global learning, global education means as, as a campus as a whole, and study abroad being an important part of that, but not the only thing, because that, if it's the only thing, then, you know, from a statistical standpoint, we're not, we're not being successful right now. So glad you said that. So when we started, we, talk, we talked about your missions as an organization. We talked a little bit. We've hinted at some of the resources that you have available for people. So our listeners out there, they may be wondering, how do I connect to these organizations, right? Is there something there for me? In fact, some may be thinking, well, I may have nothing to do with study abroad, but these organizations seem to overlap with what my interests and my mission and my own personal mission is. So what kind of resources do you have available for people to connect with you? <clears throat> I would encourage anybody to sign up for our e-news just to start getting information about what type of resources we produce and share, what types of events that we attend, um, how our activities are multidimensional so we can do, we have done publications, videos, trainings, um, online resources, podcasts, social media campaigns. And so that platform, our e-news is a really great way to kind of stay engaged of what we are doing and producing. Um, One of our key accommodation forms to know more practically what type of resources we produce is one of our knowing what accommodation questions to ask. And um, as I mentioned before, a lot of our exchange practitioners are not disability experts and you're not expected to be. and many times, students with disabilities that are going abroad, this could be their first time going abroad. And so it's how do you ask those questions? What questions do you ask? Um, and so we've got forms um, for different disabilities, and they can go through and kind of advise and know what questions to ask or engage with the student. And then it's two parts. So there's kind of like if they answer 
yes to this question. This is what it means. Um, and so that has been really helpful. And many schools have um, adapted it internally based on what their internal practices are. So that's a really great resource. Um, and our web resource library, it's filtered search. So people can search from their role as a person with a disability, an American with a disability, an international participant with a disability, an exchange professional, disability type, look at different countries, destination countries. And so those are great stories or tip sheets and practices that um, individuals can access and just to review our over 500 online resources. That's fantastic. I can yeah. even imagine faculty that yeah, we have are traveling abroad. Yeah. They may not be leading a study abroad program, but they could go to your website, they could find out information or just anyone who's listening, yeah, who has a family exactly. member who wants yeah. to go up to a destination, they can use your resources. It's very exactly. open access, very applicable to different things. I'm thinking about um, institutes and events that I have for domestic and international participants. I will probably mm -hmm. go to your website for that checklist mm -hmm. so that I can make sure that I'm designing for accessibility. Awesome. That's that's Great. helpful. Good, good. And um, now, so with diversity abroad, uh, so so one, we maintain two platforms: our, our professional website, uh, diversitynetwork.org, and then our student website, diversityabroad.com. Um, and really, the resources that we have uh, on the the professional side are are split into a few categories. Um, first is um, our aid roadmap that I mentioned earlier, and this really is a set of guidelines um, for diversity, inclusion, good practice. So. You're saying to yourself, hey, whether you're a faculty member, administrator, or advisor, whatever role you may be in, and you're saying, hey, you know what, I, I want to do, I want to be more effective in, in this work, what do I do? And and a roadmap is really that, the what do I do? It's a, it's a guy, I mean, it's, you know, we use the word roadmap because it's, it's a roadmap towards how you can begin to uh, assess and then uh, develop and implement diversity and inclusion good practices in the work that we're doing as uh, as international educators. Um, so that's that's one of the resources that we that we have um, a tremendous amount of, of uh, professional uh, development and learning opportunities. Um, everything from a, a diversity inclusion certificate program for those that work in international education, whether it be inbound or outbound, uh, to online short courses. Um, obviously, our annual conference uh, that we that we run every year, um, and other institutes and workshops and trainings that that we do to really uh, uh, help develop professionals and empower them to uh, take this work on um, at their institutions within the organizations and in order to change both who has access to global programs and how we're supporting the success of, of young people or students, excuse me, in, in doing that. And then the third, the third resource for professionals, that, that kind of category, is just broad advising uh, resources. So everything from advising guides um, to updates on the diversity inclusion climate in different countries for professionals, um, to help keep folks abreast as far as like what's going on in, in different places as we're looking at how we support students and whether that's supporting international students, supporting study abroad students, you know, domestic study abroad students, uh, whatever way it may be. And then on the student side, on our on our student website, diversityabroad.com, really the the, the 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 kind of three things we do there we say is uh, is um, is connection, community, um, and then uh, and then op opportunity. So really um, connecting. Um, uh, connecting students to uh, resources um, like uh, scholarships or, or, or programs and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then the community providing a space for young people to be able to connect uh, to, to each other um, who, who are going abroad and connect with mentors and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then the third area uh, is, is content. I, I misspoke. The third area is content. Uh, and that's having specialized content geared towards the student populations that we're talking about. Um, and, uh, and very exciting, in, in January, uh, we're launching a new um, advising platform. It's called Abroad360, um, and it is uh, it's a digital advising platform that is geared towards uh, students from diverse and underrepresented backgrounds, uh, and is meant to be able to uh, be an, ex an extension of the work that advisors are already doing and supporting the success of students. So um, very, very excited about the work that we do, the resources we have. Um, some resources are behind the firewall, but we also have a tremendous amount of resources that are open access. Fantastic. So that's January 2020. January that 2020, advice yeah. 360 is coming out. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. So celebrating, yeah. celebrating the old, celebrating the new. 
<laughs> something <laughs> borrowed, something blue. <laughs> You're wearing a blue shirt, <laughs> Andrew. I borrowed this jacket from a friend of mine. <laughs> so we have it all going on. I just want to thank both of you for joining this conversation today. I, I think it was all the richer because it was this dialogue between us. We're all in this work together to make global learning accessible and high quality for all of our students, whatever the modality. I really look forward to uh, collaborating more with both of you in the future. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie and, and Monica. Anytime you get a chance to do this, it's great. So thank, thank you as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Global Learning Universal. This podcast is brought to you by FIU's Office of Global Learning Initiatives, Media Technology Services, and our Disability Resource Center. You can find all our episodes, show notes, transcripts, and discussion guides on our webpage, globallearningpodcast.fiu.edu. And if this episode was meaningful to you, please share it with colleagues, friends, and students. You can even give it a rating on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in and for all you do to make global learning universal.